Welcome to the Bohemian Pursuit Podcast, set to unleash the creative in you. With your host, Mickey, aka Mix of the Comic, and Epi. Alright, welcome to another episode of Bohemian Pursuits. And today we have with us Priyanka Muniapa, who is an artist, an illustrator, a designer, a macro photographer, and also the co-owner of the clothing brand Grandma Would Approve. Welcome to the show, Thank Priyanka. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having me. It's really amazing to be on here. Hey, Priyanka. Really excited to have this conversation. For our listeners, the reason Priyanka is a bohemian of the day is because, well, she likes old clothes. She, she likes old clothes very much. <laughs> on that note, Priyanka, what is a grandma approved? So grandma would approve, actually. Grandma approved is the other end of it, but... Grandma Would Approve is basically an experimental waste management studio where we work with post-consumer textile resources and textile waste. And we basically upcycle, recycle and restore and also reconstruct these garments to uh, last another 50 years, if not more, and basically circulate in the market for a longer time. So it's the idea that we can breathe new life into the old and revive uh, or resurrect pieces that uh, uh, need to have a chance to see another light of day. So that's basically the whole idea behind the brand. And the values of the brand and the philosophies of the brand are based on our grandmothers and their philosophy towards sustainability. So the idea of the brand is that anything that we do, uh, any decision that we take, it would be approved by any grandmother out there because it, the ideology is rooted in sustainability and uh, the philosophy is inspired from the same identity or the same energy that grandmothers as a whole hold, you know. So that's basically the idea. And also the fact that grandmas were the original pioneers of sustainability. They, their practices of mending, fixing, upcycling, you know, these practices are time, like they're timeless and uh, because they are timeless, it's our responsibility as the future generation, as the generation of now to kind of do something about it and to keep that memory of our grandmothers, keep the ideology, keep the philosophy going and keeping it alive, you know. Right, right. It's a, it's a bit of a weird angle, to be honest. Because most clothing companies, most like most fashion is just like is just targeted towards new and trendy, and like this is what this is what's you know in for the season. What I mean, like you always have to be at the edge of the curve. And like, why did you choose this angle? So both my partner and I, Anugra and I, we are we haven't been traditionally trained in fashion design, both of us. So because of that, it was just natural for us to. Uh, approach it from outside the box rather than from within so we've always approached the brand from the outside and we've always looked at the brand or thought of the brand as an anti-brand brand because we are like it it doesn't have to really be the same way that brands function it ha- doesn't have to be with the same motives it doesn't have to be with the same you know idea of capitalism that you can still run a brand successfully you can uh, still run it well, but you can do it, uh, you know, with using the raw materials of passion, of inspiration, of art and of aesthetic and design and values. And, you know, the, the 
like the old philosophies can still be incorporated and they can always be, you know, the classic always comes back. And it's the idea that even fashion is a very cyclic thing, you know, even seasons come back as cycles. So even ideas can come back as cycles. And I think we, we were kind of at that point in the cycle where we felt like this idea of our grandmothers and the values that they hold, we could be the ones that would bring it back into the market and bring it back into the system. So we kind of approached it from that angle. Brilliant. Like, so you, so you would say you would, you use a lot of old clothes, right? Only old clothes. So only old clothes. My grandma still does this for me. My grandma makes a little, uh, a little muffler or, or, or a sweater for my nieces I was, when I was a kid, I, was, I always thought, oh, no, you know, you need to have like something new. You need to have like the latest T-shirt. As I grew older, I, I realized I stopped yeah. buying clothes. I've, I've started buying clothes probably. I think I buy clothes once a year and I think I buy about three colors, maybe yeah. white, black and blue. <laughs> I have no sense of fashion whatsoever. But yeah, I mean, like so when I was when we were growing up, I would see a lot of, you know, people, women who would wear a lot of high waist jeans, bell yeah. bottoms and stuff. I saw that back again in action right now and it's not uncool anymore. It's really cool to wear older stuff, people going for that retro look. So are you one of those people that... Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people because I haven't actually bought any fast fashion in over 10 years now. And I have only uh, thrifted and bought vintage garments. And uh, because in NIFT, uh, in under fashion communication, we were taught a course uh, called Costume Through the Ages. So they basically made us study about costumes from as early as the Egyptian civilization all the way till the 2000s, you know. So we uh, learned how, why certain garments were designed to match the society then, why certain designs were apparent in certain periods. So, you know, like during the World War, why did suddenly all the cuts get more formal and they got more stronger because it was those were the times that people were living in and it was so influenced by war and influenced by the army so the cuts and the silhouettes were extremely sharp you know and more sleek but then as you started moving into the 70s they started getting looser you know they started getting more flowy so it's about how the culture the the movements around us and the things that are happening our environment is constantly shaping even people subconsciously or consciously to dress a certain way, you know, even dungarees came, came into being only because women had to leave their homes and start working in factories because their husbands had gone off to war. So they needed to start running the factories. So they needed something that was comfortable, you know, that they could work in. So like they would wear their, their husband's garments or they would wear their husband's denims or, you know, it was these kind of things like, so these, it's always been, the culture has always influenced the fashion of the times. And so I'm definitely uh, somebody who is an advocate for vintage garments because, of course, they're all collectibles. If you look at it from that angle, if you start investing in buying unique vintage garments and if you take care of them and if you keep them in prime condition, you could potentially sell these garments for a lot of money in the future and I'm talking about a lot of money because 
it's about the fact that these pieces will not be found anywhere else so they'll be really hard to find in good condition so for me i've been looking at vintage as an investment because at the end of the day i am in the fashion scene now with grandma would approve we are creating a lot of vintage restored collectible pieces so my own personal closet i at least have a hundred vintage jackets that i have collected over 10 years now and all of these pieces are unique you cannot find them anywhere and i will eventually sell these pieces as grandma's personal closet pieces later on in the future and that's kind of a plan that i have for myself as well to you know sell these pieces and then cash out and basically travel or do something else with it you know so it's that idea that old is really gold and the it's just an untapped resource that people with with so how do you say with so uh, engaged with always looking forward that we forget to carry our past with us so for me it's very important that i constantly like you know time is very like time really doesn't exist right so the past present and future exists right now so for me the idea that i can hold a piece that is 50 years old 60 years old that i have that piece and right now i'm 28 i can keep this piece for another 25 years even and some of my pieces could even reach a century by the time i i'm probably even 50 years old you know so it's this kind of a thing that the people that know know you know and the people that don't know are unfortunately missing out so it's just a matter of what interests you it's a matter of what calls you towards it and vintage has always been it's because i was studying about it in college and i was finding it and i was finding it with my vendors or i was finding it in shops it was an amazing learning experience for me because what i'm studying about i'm also finding a similar kind of piece and what started happening was i was able to identify vintage just by learning about it in college and that was really beautiful because i'd go somewhere in in 500 garments i'd be able to find a couple of vintage pieces and for me that would feel amazing because i would spend a cup like half a day with my vendors just looking at all the pieces they have to find one or two pieces that are just like wow please take my money right now bro i want this piece you know so it's it's from that place and it's also the space of like you know back then for me i did want to dress up well you know i was in college i wanted to look good i wanted to you know kind of i was still figuring out who i was and stuff and it was actually in fact during college when i was 19 years old that i applied for vipassana and i went for my first course and it was after vipassana when i came back to college that i started seeing nift as the institution that it really is i started seeing the fashion industry for what it really is and even if people could, would like even if people would be fake or would tr- try to be something else i would be able to see through it it's as though like the veil had been lifted and i was able to see things for what they were you know so for me it's it's kind of i could never turn my head away from the lies and the destruction and the uh, you know exploitation that the fashion industry was really engaging in for me it was always in my face it was in my face that forests are getting cut off just to make some factories it was in my face that 
you know, uh, water bodies are getting polluted with all the dyes and all the microfibers. It was in my face that so many like GMO seeds are creating dead soils. They're, the farmer suicides are all linked to the fact that GMO seeds are like killing the soils, you know, and that is why the quality of cotton over the over the years has actually reduced. It's not gotten better. And that is why cotton now comes in cotton blend. It's not a cotton, just a cotton. It's cotton blend because the the quality has gotten inferior because of the kind of exploitation that's happening. So it's these kind of realizations that just made me kind of open my eyes and say, no, if I'm going to be a part of this industry, if I'm going to do anything for this industry, I cannot be a machine to anybody's part or a part to anybody's machine, sorry. And I can't be like a machine, you know, I need to be conscious and I need to be my own person. As, as, as much as I want to get into it, I mean, as much as I want to get into time is time is not real. Is not real. I'm curious about uh, <laughs> what you think about culture and fashion uh, of today of the of society as we live in now i see a lot of sustainability i mean move towards sustainability people becoming more aware would you say that sustain the fashion industry is going to move towards a more sustain in a more sustainable direction definitely our clothing is going to move towards a more sustainable direction whether people whether the brands join on it or not i know that it's going to come to a point where the customers will demand that your products be sustainable. It's that also like right now, people don't want to invest in a piece if it's not slow fashion or if it's not made consciously, if the artisans aren't being paid well, you know, nobody wants to pay for it. Like, of course, there's a huge section of the market that still has to buy fast fashion that because it's a thing of affordability, you know, for people like it's the people who, have you know it's the people who basically have a lot of resources who probably come from a lot of privilege that maybe can buy things that are more sustainable and you know support a more sustainable cause but i do hope that it becomes a norm and some kind of policy or some kind of rules and regulations are laid out you know where there's a kind of taxation for how much pollution you create i feel like these things need to come from policy only then these changes can happen you know like for small brands like grandma would approve we are doing things in our own capacity of what we feel is conscious and right but if you think of it if it has to change on a larger scale it has to be through policy the government has to intervene and uh, the policies need to change around the industries and about production and overproduction and stuff so it, i feel like it's many different things working with each other right now. It's many different things working with and against each other, you know. So I feel like I was able to convert three of my tailors to change their perspective towards sustainability. It, they coming from fast fashion factories, you know. So if that can happen on such a small scale, I do believe that people have the ability to change and you know, they have the ability to grow their own mindset. So it's a matter of that as well. Who are really the influencers Can and you... who are really beneficial to our artisans to take them forward, you know. Right. Can, you get a, can you go a little bit into that? How did you, how were you introduced to these tailors and how did you get them to move out of uh, fast fashion? Um, as I say, when you're ready, 
it all kind of falls in place and i was ready to start the brand i was ready to do it and my uh, elder brother he used to run the de- design studio in my basement so uh, he had shut down the basement for about 3 years and the tailor that used to work for him uh, luckily went to singapore and worked in the reebok factory there as a supervisor for 2 years and by the time i came back with the idea that i wanted to start the brand he had kind of gotten international exposure and he had gotten uh, you had, he had understood what international standards are you know so when he came back he was much more confident he from the man that i knew he he had grown and uh, when we met at that moment he was wearing a shirt that he had reconstructed with scraps that he had found around the factory so he had made a shirt and he was wearing that shirt so my partner and me when we met him we looked at him and we were like this is the kind of stuff we want to make we want to mix it all up we want to match it up and we want to make something interesting and he immediately understood there was no there was nothing lost in translation everything was understood and i said come to work from next month let's start you know and that's how it basically started and he when we started scaling up when we got our second guy and recently our third i put it on him to find somebody that he will be comfortable working with because so he's a tamilian so he found a guy that he had worked with earlier who's also a tamilian so they they both are like bros they work together he guides him they you know it's a very it's a very nice environment because everybody's learning from each other and then when the third person came he had also worked with both the tailors so when he came it ended up being like all three friends again in a space you know and i arranged their uh, machines opposite to each other so there's constantly exchange and they're constantly looking at what the others doing so that they can suggest or give suggestions or correct or anything like this you know so that way it's a very nice exchange that's happening and in fact in my brand there's no hierarchy my tailors don't treat me like i'm their boss they treat me like i am with them so for me also like running the brand for 2 years with them i don't even raise my voice at them nothing i give them complete creative freedom as well i respect their design choices their color combinations their aesthetics as well i just tell them if something's working or not but i never put them down i never put pressure on them i let them create from the same kind of space that i create you know that same ease and that same you know it's just it, you have to be comfortable you have to be calm when you're creating you can't create when you're like in a hurry you know and so that's the kind of space i give them as well awesome so where do you get your where do you get so, your material um, from i have as i told you i can never reveal my vendors because that's you lose the point of the whole uh, search for garments and the whole treasure hunt to find them but there are a lot of people out there that are selling or have warehouses and stuff of old clothes and you can basically go find these guys they're all over the place you just have to ask you have to find them i have had my vendors for about 10 years now so i've created a very good connection with them and they basically take me to their warehouses i ask them to take me to the back of their warehouse where they themselves have not entered that room for 10 years 20 years like that and i go to the back and i we start removing the oldest sacks of clothes there and then i start going through the sacks of clothes and seeing 
what is salvageable, what can be reused, what can be cut, what can be restored, you know. So it's it's a process. It's it's like sometimes it's a whole week's process. I have to make my way to the other end of town, go sit at their warehouses, sit with all the microfibers and everything and just go through garments. So it's a big process. And especially in India, there are a lot of vendors like that who have, you know, who have old, like, who have warehouses where they they themselves, they want to get rid of the stock, you know, it's like the oldest of the oldest stock, but they're no takers. So there are people like me that come and basically literally demand that please take out your oldest stuff and show me. So that's where, that's how I basically do my process. And um, it's all communication. You have to go out there. You have to go to the ground and meet people. You can't like, as remote as we like the world to be, as digital as we like it to be, there are people out there that have lives on the road and you know, you have to just find them and you have to like search for them. And the thing is the fashion industry in 2015, the estimate that the fashion industry created a hundred billion garments were created in 2015. Yes, that is only 2015. And now we're at 2021. So you can imagine how many hundreds of billions of garments are already on the planet. And now this is the fast fashion garments. But what about all the old garments? They must be like millions of these old garments sitting around in places you know it's just a matter of like going out there and finding them and treasure hunting so what intrigues me is that you know a lot of people throw away old clothes like you'd wear them for a couple of months and then you throw them out I mean, obviously because the wear and tear because the fiber is really weak you know it's starting to rip so like how does that play into your designing how do you make it new how is it how is it good in compared comparison to something new recently so, as i was telling you uh, the, the fast fashion brands these days all the materials are basically blends they're either poly blends or they're cotton blends and they're different kinds of blends but back in the day the cotton was more superior quality because the yarn was actually more superior and they were built to last so our whole thing is that we find garments that have already stood the test of time you know so if I find a jacket that has already survived for 40 years, now let me add, you know, a new collar. Let me add new inner lining. Let me add new elastic, new zip, new buttons. The structure is still in excellent condition. There's nothing wrong with it. But the parts that are damaged are basically replaced by us. And then we add more panels and stuff on top of it to kind of make it that one-of-a-kind piece that... You know, it's an art piece, you know, so we we add that grandma's touch to those pieces and then send them out. So that's the whole idea, you know, that if because we know this to be true, that over the like ever since the Green Revolution took over the world, the Green Revolution has basically been depleting the earth. It's been depleting the soils and it's basically been sucking up all the nutrition and water from the earth you know it's like it's really bad basically the green revolution what it brought to india to africa to other places as well and so i know for a fact that over the last 20 years whatever has been produced in india has been more synthetic it's more synthetic focused and it's very very depleting to the environment and it's also one of the major causes for our farmer suicides and stuff as well because of this you know, so 
by using products that have stood the test of time instead of letting these products rot somewhere in the back of a warehouse or rot in a landfill or enter the water bodies or go somewhere else because i don't know if you guys know this but when a garment decomposes or tries to decompose in a landfill it actually releases greenhouse gases so cotton releases methane gas so you could now imagine that every cotton piece of cloth that has landed up in a landfill and is decomposing is actually releasing methane gas so like this polyester doesn't even break down even after 100 years polyester stays the same in the landfill so now what what are we doing with this so it's kind of these very important questions that we need to ask ourselves about you know are we going to take account like accountability for the pieces that already exist on earth and is there really a need to make more when we're all, when we've already overproduced you know and i had this when i gave my pitch at the circular design challenge i said that the hundreds of billions of garments produced by the fast fashion industry are enough to clothe seven planets like earth if each person owned 14 pieces of clothes so we're talking about there's already an overproduction over 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 production of garments on the planet currently and we don't need to be producing any more we only need like that <laughs> we have more clothes than food yeah there are more clothes than food exactly you know and the planet is choking in fabric or yeah, uh, microfibers are a big issue like micro microfibers are microplastics they enter into the water system uh, the they're everywhere and... they are everywhere and in yeah. fact when yeah. i shoot macro yeah. photography i actually find microfibers even sitting on insects i have so many photographs of microfibers on the insects and i'll just be looking at it and be like man oh. even here you know so it's a lot and it's bad right now and these these garments that fa- fast fashion produces are not made to last they are just made to just sell so that's where you need to understand the difference yeah i've seen that one of the problems that i see is that these garments are cheap is there like a free market solution to it being reasonable i mean sustainability becoming a, the way forward um let's say now we have a whole bunch of artisans like india is famous for its handicrafts india is famous for the artisans that we have here who are who have been here for generations you know their families have been doing this for generations but if we aren't going to empower these people and teach them how to evolve with the changing times with with leaving people behind in the in that path towards wanting to create more you know so i feel like it's extremely important that we don't forget the people that are here that have been doing this for a long time and we kind of take them also towards the future and that's why i'm saying like empowerment is really really important teaching people is really important and Most you know special. just communicating and transferring that digital knowledge to these people also and making them a relevant part of the system you know because the artisans get paid the least and that is the problem the artisans need to get paid the most and it has to change and that's why i feel like even the system is so warped because 
every time you look at capitalism, it is a warped system. It's not really keeping the artisan in mind. It's keeping the consumer in mind, you know. So all of these kind of things need to change. And that's why I was saying that when policy changes, something can change. You know, it has to happen from that height so that it can trickle down as well. But brands like mine who are doing sustainable work and who are supporting a lot of people, these kind of brands, we're doing the work. Like we don't, we don't necessarily, we're still doing it because it's our calling and it's something that resonates with us and it's, it's kind of the driving force for us. But hopefully we hope as people hopefully get conscious of themselves, of their environment, that they'll make better decisions. You you've run you've run Grandma would approve yeah. now for two yeah. years. Is we that right? We started in two thousand nineteen. So like uh, how, November. What 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 I mean? What was your process initially? How was have you seen that process uh, change over time? And like what if what's your process uh, now for like uh, creating? So these right now, I don't feel the process has changed much from when we initially started. I just feel we've become better at doing it. We've just gotten more comfortable with it and. It's, it's just become more seamless. So I can say that's definitely been something for us. And I feel we're also more confident now because the, of the way we're be, being received by the market, even though the pandemic has happened several times and it's just been coming and we're still staying afloat. We're still supporting our artisans. We're still supporting our tailors. So somewhere it feels like even though it's slower, of course, we're not making as much as we were in the beginning when the market was open, but we're making just enough to sustain our tailors, you know. So for us, that's at least important that we're able to sustain these guys because they're our backbone, they're our spine, you know, they're extremely important. Nothing happens if they're not there. Are you you in favor of hemp clothing? Like hemp clothing is... I'm in favor of anything that isn't depleting the planet, basically. If anything that can that is biodegradable or degrades properly or you know isn't causing harm to the environment i'm okay with it you know and it's just like even for us in grandma would approve because we use so many garments the idea is that we make a piece so beautiful so amazing that you don't want to throw it away but rather you want to pass it on like let's say the time has come now that you don't want to wear this piece anymore gift it to a friend gift it to somebody you know I'm sure they'll always be somebody that will love the piece or so it's that idea of the culture of cherishing that we're kind of going for that okay like let this piece stay in the market for as long as possible or stay with people for as long as possible so I'm definitely um, an advocate for you know sustainable fabrics as well definitely because hemp hemp is in fact extremely an extremely sustainable fiber as well and initially we were looking at or uh, using parts of our like inner lining and stuff for hemp. We were thinking about this, but currently we currently we're only working with old clothes, so we're not looking at uh, using natural and sustainable fibers yet. But I think maybe it'll open up. You never know. So uh, we're a very small team. It's just my partner, me, and my three tailors. So uh, we literally do everything from running the brand to designing to uh, photography to everything. I, I like the idea of, you know, what you just said of uh, 
hand me, handing over the clothes to another person, probably to a friend, probably to uh, a relative. But you know, the fashion industry in whole has created this whole stigma of using hand-me-downs. You know, a lot of people still have that in, at the back of their heads that, you know, I can't use use a hand-me-down. I mean, we grew exactly. up with hand-me-downs, right? Like all of us grew up with hand-me-downs, except for Abraham, because he was the oldest kid. So <laughs> he didn't get no hand-me-downs. No, but dude, I had I had older cousins and we used to get, I was damn lucky. I used to get hand-me-downs like from Italy. Like my cousins are all abroad. So I get hand-me-downs from all over the place. And I had all this like Benetton when I was three years old and four years old. I was very excited. I, it wasn't hand-me-downs to me, dude. It was like, yeah, I'm wearing Benetton, yo. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't have no hand-me-downs because I'm the only mm-hmm. boy in the house. Everyone else is a girl. So, yeah, they had to buy me new clothes. Yeah, I had (laughs) hand-me-downs because of my older brother and sister. So, they were always, like, just dumping their clothes on me because they were like, okay, I'm done. Here, take it, you know. Did you try to recycle those? So, we have a lot of, like, relatives and stuff who, like, my mom would always say, you know, you want to give some stuff, just put it in a box, let's give it. Even at home, we've never thrown something away. We've always given it, like, donated to to someone in need or you know something like that so that's always been there it's always gone to somebody like we from my dad's village we ask somebody to come by and we send a bunch of clothes like my mom will say okay send some of your old salvars this that you know maybe there'll be some girls there that can't afford it you know and that they would like to have something that's beautiful and nice it was always encouraged that if you've grown out of it like give it to us we'll give it to someone so I just feel like the hand-me-down culture, I feel it's there for everybody. It's maybe social media that's messing things up for people where they want to feel relevant all the time. So they want to feel like they're adorning themselves with something new and branded and all that. But I feel like it exists in everybody's home. Yeah, it's just, it's, and that's why the name even grandma would approve because even those three words grandma would approve everybody knows what that means there's no you just know what it instantly means you don't have to like question oh what does grandma would approve mean no it means what it means you know and uh, it's the same thing as well with hand-me-down culture as well it's there it's always been there and it's a part of our history it's a part of our heritage how do you part of our culture and it's just a matter of remembering you know it's like it's just a market. how do you promote that how do you get people to wear hand-me-downs i mean uh, like a lot of people would be a little uncomfortable you know wearing somebody else's stuff what we've noticed is very few people give us that attitude of oh it's old very few people the first thing is the logo of grandma would approve does half the work because when we put that signage there the minute people see it, they immediately associate it to vintage. So we have been able to cater to an audience from as young as 18 to even as old as 65. So even though super old people immediately when they see the grandma, they they giggle or they laugh at it. And they, you know, it's such a nice conversation starter for us because then we can explain to them why we're here and what we're doing and everything. So for us, luckily, uh, it's been a really good conversation starter. And um, of course, my partner and me, we are the best dressed when we go to sell our garments at pop-ups. So because of that, people literally come up to us and say, make me like you before I leave this place. So we, we'll be like, please come in. We'll show you 
what we have with us so, a lot of times you know you it, it's not just about the art piece that you have on your wall but you have to be a living breathing piece of art you know and for us it is that as well i do consider myself to be a living breathing piece of art i don't only think that i am just an artist or i am just a designer i am art and if uh, you were to see me in a social setting with where we have a pop up and stuff i know for a fact whether you're into fashion or not you will show up at my stall and you will say i want something from you guys like you know and luckily for us that's the space that we've been because both of us have been in the fashion industry yeah like my partner he's a fashion stylist he's been styling for five and a half years uh, i've been a designer my brothers in from nift his wife is from nift my sisters in design like we literally all in this space and my brother's friends his classmates are basically currently the leading heads of the industry my sister's friends are the leading heads of the industry so even my classmates are all like you know having really big jobs in the fashion industry so we basically know everybody so because of that it's not hard to kind of get that message out do all these heads of industries all see eye to eye with the I mean, with the vision of grandma would approve i feel like uh, it's that same thing how i couldn't ignore the dark side of the fashion industry i think it's the same way how they can't ignore grandma would approve now because it's it's right in their face they better just absorb it and they take what it's what it's putting out there because you know it's relevant and it's important and uh, it's important man we're doing important work we're doing relevant work we're doing conscious work and uh, whether anybody sees it or not we're still doing it we're still spreading the message in our own way i was curious because i w- i was wondering if the industry itself is taking a, i mean uh, is moving or transitioning towards so sustainable i told you product. about orsula yeah. de castro and she's our mentor right now who runs the fashion revolution so she basically working with her now that mm-hmm. is what she's been pushing for for the past 6 years the transparency and accountability that fashion brands need to bring to the customers to the public that how transparent are they who are making your clothes who is making your yarn who is doing all the things behind the scenes so because of people like orsula and even for a brand like grandma would approve to be mentored by somebody as influential and as important as her i feel like this is the direction that the industry is going and there is going to come a point where people will have to change their entire business model and renew it in order to stay relevant or they're just going to get exhausted like these these brands that are not going to be sustainable are just going to wither away and just their fire is going to burn out and if you want to still like if you still want to stay relevant if you want to stay you know cool and if you want to stay in in the accepted space of what fashion is then we better buckle up and start being more sustainable like that's my that's my stand on it that you know if if you don't do it bro we're going to continue to do it and we're just going to leave you behind you know so that's kind of the space as well and um, today i've been noticing actually a lot of brands like a lot of customers ask brands like are you sustainable what of your practices are sustainable where is your transparency so these kind of questions 
or making brands realize oh damn if i don't become sustainable if i don't make these decisions i'm basically screwed i will just the market will just like it will just eat me up spit mm-hmm. me in one corner and just move you know and it's like that and it's kind of cutthroat yeah, it's like- it's a bit crazy out there so that's what i was talking about authenticity is extremely important staying true to who you are and staying by saying authentic everything works out in your favor and you know because when you're authentic of course you're keeping everything else in mind the environment the market your customers everybody so it's important uh, so you're an artist as well right like i saw a couple of things of you on yes. instagram you have some amazing art i must say people should just go and check check out her page Disco. cosmic disco so you know uh, i i saw a couple of pieces that you've done so a couple of paintings that you've made are you incorporating any of this stuff into your fashion as well into the so clothes? my art and my design there are no lines or there are no boundaries between the two i feel that both of them exist in the same space and uh, so because of that and even the space that i'm creating i'm creating everything in my house you know i'm creating my designs in my basement i'm creating the art in my room so at this point of time i don't feel like i need to separate myself from the art or have the art separated from me and it's the same for my brand as well like i don't really need to separate the design from myself because it is an extension of me it's kind of a culmination of everything that i've gone through till now like my experiences are definitely my designs and you can like if you see my or cosmic disco art page and my photography page you'll see how it ties in with the brand you can't really separate the two as well there's a lot of insect photography on yeah. your on your page too what's the obsession with with insects um well insects are like mycelium and like fun, like fungi they are also such an important part of the environment you know and uh, i feel like just because we as human beings with our inflated identities and egos can't bring ourselves down to appreciating a small little living organism that is doing way more important and meaningful work than we will ever do as a freaking you know um <laughs> uh whatever as homo sapiens or something like to me i have deep and immense respect for insects because we as um humans we don't understand the smaller the smaller forces at play that are actually keeping this planet together you know and for me basically insects remind me of the smaller things they uh slow me down to the important things they slow me down to the relevant things and they are always showing me how much more subtle and how much more kind and how much more compassionate i can be towards my environment so it's for me like insects are teaching me way more than i can ever give them and uh, so it's the same thing like if somebody out there wants to go pet a dog I am that girl who wants to go pet a mantis you know there's not really much difference in the two but you know it's the same kind of thing if somebody has first time I've heard a girl if somebody is obsessed with cats then <laughs> I'm obsessed with mantises or spiders you know it's the same thing and um 
Dude, spiders are creepy, dude. Spiders, spiders are, are awesome. Dude, what is wrong with you? They're so cute. You know, I... Do you like snakes also? Sorry? Everything. Like snakes as well? Everything. I draw the line at flying like these flying insects is, is, is just too much for me because I don't know if these things are going to fly into like my up my nose into my ear into my eye like a, a bee I will I will shit my I will shit myself <laughs> like a bee comes really close to my face I'm just I'm no, sh- man. shit scared of so like the buzzing the they are so important yeah i, I get that i mean in fact, and it, in fact like i have noticed something yeah. in the past three years since i've been documenting insects the population has decreased to decreased by 40 percent the population of insects so that's really alarming you know and then you would wonder why there's so many natural uh, disasters happening so many categories Cataclysmic, oh fuck, oh, oh, I can't say the word. Cataclysmic events. And, you know, you wonder why, why could this be happening? Why are there so much flooding? Why is so much of this happening? It's all biodiversity loss, you know, we're really not thinking about these populations at all. They are so damn important for the balance of the planet and yeah, there's a delicate balance in ecosystems and I'm sure the practices that humans have, I mean, unconsciously, we have been like using these ecosystems to our advantage and maybe that's what's showing up right now. Exploiting uh, the ecosystems? What? Exploiting it. Yeah, it's exploiting it. Completely I mean, but the intention wasn't to exploit it, right? Like, yeah, I mean, but the intention isn't to exploit it. The intention is that we get clothes, like everybody is clothed or everybody has no, clothes. not only that, or, uh, right? Everybody it's has food. In the name of development, the the kind of like the greed or selfishness or whatever that comes on off in the name of development, that is what is alarming. You know, that's what's like, oh, my God, why are we removing so many uh, beautiful uh, historic forests and rainforests in order to have palm oil plantations? Why are we doing that? Because... At the end of the day, if nature exists with everything else, you know, and if you're going to plant, this is the theory, right? Monoculture appears like it's giving a lot to the people. But if, let's say, a pest uh, attacks 1,000 acres of some crop, 1,000 acres of that crop will be wiped out because of that one pest. But let's say if it was mixed cropping and many different things were growing in the same place, the pest would come to one, two, three things. It'll sit on those, ruin those, but it wouldn't ruin a thousand acres of crops, you know. So it's this kind of thing that mixed cropping, mixed farming, mixed forests are what keep the keep that delicate balance going, you know. And the minute we move towards monoculture, the minute we move towards fast fashion production like this you know it's all a monoculture state of mind you know and the minute we move into that then we're kind of like driving ourselves to our own death in some way you know i mean we we also we also live in a time when we have the least hunger in the world in not in the world in humanity there's the least number of people hungry in the world there's the least amount of poverty ever that's ever existed in humankind. 
pre-pandemic, maybe like pre-pandemic. I mean, yeah, dude. I'm, what I mean is pre-pandemic. Yeah, let's take pre-pandemic. But you, like pre-pandemic, what I'm what I'm saying is, uh, yes, we have used, we have abused environments and e- ecosystems and we've used it to our gain but we've brought about a lot of good because we've we've done it of course there are there uh, there are better ways to do it and we are slowly learning better ways to do it and uh, i think the only conscious the only way is if like you mentioned if people started to make conscious decisions about these i mean about the choices that they make if more, they're more conscious or more better well-read about the co- choices that they make, that's that would be one way to do it. But to get rid of uh, a system that 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 has got us here seems a little. I mean, I don't think it would tear it down. I think we, I think we like you improve on it, um, and, and I think that's what you you're know, doing by by grand grandma would approve. Yeah, so I think like we're definitely challenging the norms and we're definitely challenging the system and uh, hopefully more people will like catch on to this and hopefully more people will get influenced by it. In fact, if you, I don't know, of course, you guys wouldn't have known about this, but in the pandemic, during the pandemic, all the NIF students across India and a lot of fashion students across the world were basically asked to create garments with the clothes that they already had available in their houses so because they were all at home so you know if now the students are going to start slowly thinking about the usage of the garments that are available with them and what that means it could slowly mean that these people are also when they come out into the market are going to want to do something on the lines of upcycling or reconstruction you know as a small brand i don't expect the industry to dismantle overnight you know it's not about that because a completely new system needs to be put in place but what i feel like is that if i could do it with three tailors i could do it with a hundred tailors i could do it with a thousand tailors you just need to sit them down and explain to them about why this is good for the environment about why this is the next step of the growth that the industry can take and it's these people are not stupid you know they're very smart and they're very skilled it's just a matter of sitting down with them and having that dialogue that hey you know what what do you think about using old clothes and you will hear answers from them that even probably a person that went to some college abroad also hasn't won't give you know and this is what i'm saying like it's about what you do with this information that you learn so that you can come and you know impart that same information to your local com- community so they can also grow and they can also do better so i know for a fact that after my tailors whenever they do leave me and whenever they do go out into the world by themselves the kind of the kind of information the kind of experiences i have imparted on them they can spread it to other people as well and they can create a ripple ripple effect as well you know so this is something that i believe that no matter how small that effort it it can have a ripple effect of its own but the effort needs to be consistent it, how the ripple goes it's left up to the ripple but you know you're starting somewhere and that's really important yeah, yeah. this is 
Why are you so passionate? Why am I so passionate about this? Because I'm sick of the fashion industry. I'm sick of its shit. You know, I'm just sick of everything that it does. And and I'm really tired of it. Yeah, like there's like, you know, we have to carry the guilt of what our seniors have screwed up the industry. We have to carry the guilt as the juniors of the industry, you know, and why do I need to carry the guilt of my seniors? Because they didn't reach any state of some like awareness or consciousness. Why should I carry the guilt? I It's left up to me to like, you know, I can't sit and freaking think about all the, you know, how do you say um, the, the forests and all the things that have been cut down. I have to like today, what can I do? I can go out there and plant more trees. I can go out there and do something. I can go out there and make some change. I can go out there and start a ripple. And that's that's why I'm so passionate because I'm sick of like I'm just sick of all this unconscious behavior I'm sick of all this non-accountability I'm sick of all the depletion I'm sick of all the exploitation and like what am I going to how am I going to transmute this sickness into something that is that that's good you know something that's important that's beneficial and that's sustainable so that's why I'm passionate when did you realize when did you realize that this is what you um, wanted to do? maybe two two years before starting grandma was that was that a, about right was that an incident no so as i was saying i went for vipassana when i was 19 and i had just joined nift when i was 18 so a year into nift and then i i i went for my vipassana meditation course and following that I, I started questioning the industry. I started questioning what we were being taught. And uh, we were only being taught to create, you know, we weren't being taught to recycle and upcycle. So right. for me, the constant question in my mind was, how can I how can I be taught only to create, but to create at no end without reducing or reusing something? So for me, this was like a constant question inside myself, like, you know, like this voice of reason constantly telling me if you're going to create something, you better reduce something or you better reuse something. So it's always been there. I'm 28 now. So for a good like seven years, this has been the internal uh, dialogue inside me, you know, don't like only create when it's necessary, only create if you can reduce something, if you can reuse something. So that's always been, it's always been the pushing factor. And yeah, when my partner and I, we were deciding about the brand and we conceptualized about it, it everything just made sense. It made sense why I loved upcycling my mom's sarees. It made sense why I liked shopping for vintage. It, it made sense why I liked designing clothes for myself. It, everything just made sense, you know. And when I keep, like, it's that, right? Like, when you're ready, you know, and um, you just have to, you know, get the engine running. And that's kind of the space that I was because I'd been trained as a designer to think like a designer for so many years. I like being in the, like learning photography, graphic design. I felt very, I felt like I I wanted my design process to be more tactile. I didn't want it to be digital. Like I didn't want to sit and make digital art. I didn't want to sit and make something on a freaking app or something because I'm not putting the color. The app is putting the color. I'm not drawing the line. The app is drawing the line. It's 
making the line smoother than it is. It's not like the rough edges that my work has, you know. So for me, I started feeling more yeah. disconnected from, you know, digital work because I was like, what is this? Yeah, I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like, it's not me. The computer is doing it. It's making it convenient for me. So I started having a kind of disconnect with my work. And that's when I said, okay, I want to move to paper more. I want to move to painting and I want to do more tactile things. So even when I work with fabric, it's a very tactile thing. I'm holding it in my hand. I'm touching it. I'm working with it. I'm seeing what works with what. And even in, uh, when we're creating garments also, we have to see the weight of one garment, whether the other one can support it. So you, it's such a like, there's so much tactile touch to it. And it, it just brings you back, you know, and makes you more aware. So as a kid, were you always inclined toward fashion or yeah. art? You talk Always. a lot about colors. Even your art, it has a lot of blends of colors and, you know, it's very soothing to the eye. So it's pleasing. It's, uh, you can't, uh, definitely as an artist, you can't recreate something that you've created yeah. once, right? That's just replicating. But as a kid, was this a practice? Uh, so at home, uh, my dad has this little tweety bird that I've drawn from my LKG that he has framed and kept since then. And basically for this Tweety Bird, I've colored the Tweety Bird in like freaking 20 colors. Basically, there's no yellow in this bird. It's every other color but yellow. So I think, and my mom was an artist. She she used to uh, do a lot of art. Now she doesn't, but she does gardening and stuff. And my brother has always been an amazing artist. My sister's an amazing artist. So I've always been influenced by it. I've always been influenced by design, by art. And uh, so it's been it's like that's what everything has been preparing me for this in its own way yeah everything has been preparing me for it from the time I was a kid like in my second grade I realized that I was dyslexic I knew like I knew I was dyslexic in my second grade I knew that I had a like a, I was I had like a learning impairment I couldn't I couldn't mug up I couldn't remember things and I used to really struggle but when it came to a pencil, if I'd hold a pencil, I would feel so comfortable. My lines would be so nice. But the minute I would have to write something, just it would be all over the place. And I'd miss all the alphabets. I'd miss the spellings. It would just be all over the place. But when I would draw, I would be in my most comfortable space. And in fact, like something very amazing happened when I went back to my old school uh, for the reunion. One of my uh, teachers, when I told her that I, I had this brand, she apologized to me and said, I'm so sorry that we couldn't give you the education that actually brought out your artist, artist nature and your artistry. Because we, in school, we were suppressing every child's creativity by bombarding them with so many subjects and so much information. She was like, I'm really glad that you broke out of that and you continue to always stay in the art space, in the creative space. Because, and she's like, I'm glad that even though the school system tried to break you, it couldn't. And that you constantly stayed on that path, you know. And she was so happy to hear that I was doing something in design. That's the biggest win. It was really amazing, you know. And that's when I realized, man, kids are being suppressed like crazy when it comes to their art yeah they always promote they always promote spelling bees or math competitions i remember as a kid when i was in the third grade we had an art competition 
But then after that, it just started to die off. There wasn't that much, you know, that, you know, where a kid could go and probably just draw whatever he wanted to draw, whatever she wanted to draw. It started to decline. Yeah. I mean, nobody really promoted art. And that's why we started Bohemian Pursuits, because we want to promote that art. We want to get people's creative sides out. We want stories like exactly like yours. Yeah. And it's really important work that you guys are doing as well, you know, because I actually feel that. Uh, you know, artists are those people that chose not to leave their inner child behind, you know, and we, you know, however damaged we are as people, we still have managed to keep that small little aspect or element of ours, like still alive, that aspect of just having wonder and having imagination and inculcating that creativity and, you know, that wonder for the planet freedom. Yeah, and freedom as well. So I really feel that as well. Like even the dialogues that you guys are bringing forward and, you know, doing podcasts with important people that are doing important work, relevant work. There's so much exchange from things like this and there's so much to learn. And, you know, we're all merely facets of each other. And, you know, there's so much to learn from that. So, yeah, it's just really amazing. Yeah, but yeah, you spoke because, sure. I mean, you spoke about sustainable farming and stuff. And we had a we had a podcast just a few weeks ago with with a guy called Coach. Yeah, Parker. I know him. He's a friend, actually. Spoke. He's a friend. About, yeah. Yeah, wow, yeah. Brilliant. Small world. I just, I just. <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of sustainable. Yeah, I just and went and spent a month in his farm. In fact, uh, uh, with my sister, and we stayed uh, at Varanasi Farms, and uh, it was really amazing. And I. Had a really good time. In fact, there I was sitting and drawing a lot, like, because I was there for a whole month and I have a whole bunch of illustrations that I've done. I haven't put them up yet, but they're there. There are a lot. They're about like 40 pieces. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're doing exciting stuff at, at Varanashi Organic Farms. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's like, I mean, the first time I heard of it, I said, I thought it was like moving backwards as far as, as far as society is concerned, right? But it's connecting you back, it's taking you back to your roots, taking you back to nature. It is a very alternative way of uh, of living. And yeah, I mean, I've never been there, but uh, I've heard really good things. And It's a very, very, like, very beautiful place. And they're doing amazing work. The fact that they've kept the entire place organic is just, it's, it's brilliant right. on their part. And it's just a beautiful place. It's, of course, run by their family. So... You know, it has that homely vibe to mm-hmm. it. And it's really just an amazing place. And yeah, of course, because of the pandemic, my sister and I, we just wanted to get away for a little bit. So he's a very good friend of ours. So we just asked him if we could come over and uh, we went and stayed there for about a month. And uh, I luckily got to stay in the tree house. So I was chilling in the tree house. Very cool. And yeah, it was beautiful. It. Like it was really beautiful. <laughs> of course, there's a lot of spores and you're like, hit by a lot of mold and stuff so you have to keep all your stuff inside all the time and you know you have to be careful because you'll be inhaling a lot of mold and stuff but it was like it was wow it was really beautiful I I had a spectacular time just alone in the tree house just playing music playing some jazz and just like chilling out there drawing must have been really interesting to just spend time alone in, in the treehouse. You're thinking clearer, you're thinking better. Because as an artist, you, that's what exactly. you need. You can't have a cluttered mind to sit down and draw something. That's why I'm guessing the 40 yeah, pieces. Yeah, 40 pieces. Actually, I was going, going to make 80. But I keep, I keep getting a swelling in my hand here. So 
whenever the swelling gets bad, I just like chill out a little bit and then I come back to it. So of course I can't overwork myself. So my hand itself says enough, enough. Now you uh, chill out for a bit. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah, but I'd, I'd love to meet you guys Don't in person so sometime. Uh, I'd love to meet you in person if you'd like. If you'd like to come over to the studio, you're most welcome. It's in HSR layout and I can show you some of my art and um, yeah, we can have a chill day if you'd like that. For sure. Maybe yeah. you could teach us something about fashion as well. I mean, we have three colors. That <laughs> <we have. laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring all my old clothes and I'll come. Yeah, 100%. I'll, I'll bring you all my old clothes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, spend the day. So what's the, what's, uh, what's the future of Grammar um, Would Approve? So, what's Grammar going to So currently to? we are, I'm, I'm getting a fourth tailor in November and uh, we're going to be like increasing production a little bit. And uh, so... The plan is to send our products abroad. We don't really want our reconstructed products to be here because I'm actually undervaluing my reconstructed in India. So through Orsula, Orsula is going to be making me meet some retailers in Europe and in other parts of the world as well. So we're looking at kind of expanding and having our pieces sent abroad because the culture already is rooted in vintage it's rooted in sustainability it's rooted in reconstruction so i can get the value for my product there so i'm looking at that in terms of expansion growth and stuff i don't want to like have a very very large team because i like to micromanage things and i like to manage it well and like to manage it easily you know it shouldn't be like it gets heavy for me and i just feel like stressed every day when I sleep or something I want to sleep with that ease you know that everything is good so I will only take on my hands how much I can I don't want to take more than that I just hope to I hope to travel a little bit uh, with my partner so that I can have a bit more nature experiences as well so that like even my art and stuff can evolve and it can get better so even my design of course will get influenced when my art evolves as well we're also getting the opportunity to do a couple of fashion shows abroad as well so Orsula has just told me to do the work stay ready and keep my products ready so that's the plan just creation man like I just want to create and yeah I want to take my brand everywhere I I see my brand kind of like you know kind of like the grandma community building and I I see that I see that as like a future thing. So, you know, invest in a grandma piece now because we don't even know if people in India will be able to get their hands on this, you know. So that's all I can say. Buy some grandma So, uh, you know, that's all I can say. Maybe you guys can read it next. It's funny funny that you'd say. uh, Next uh, sometime in the future and earn a lot of gold. So that's also possible. So it will be like a grandma Bitcoin kind of scene, you know, but a wearable law. it's funny that you would approach it like that because as we're doing the podcast that's exactly what what we're uh, i mean that's exactly what we're going through too because like at the moment we i mean we don't know where this is going to go we don't know yeah. what you know we don't know what's what's going to happen with this we are just interested in having conversations like this and talking to you know, creative people like you that are just doing, you know, there's such cool shit happening all over the place. And it's it's so nice to be, to know about it and to like, for you to give us time 
to tell us about what you're doing and it's just it's just amazing we're just creating episodes at the moment <laughs> we're just having uh, creating yeah. episodes what advice would you give somebody you know somebody listening to this somebody who wants to start out doing sustainable fashion or um, you know circular design and reconstruct uh the advice i think i'd like to give is like a couple of things self preservation self development self healing self love if you don't have any of these factors that you are working actively on yourself then don't dive into something and make that a distraction in your life because a brand is not a joke to run or constantly designing new pieces is not a joke empowering your tailors empowering yourself keeping yourself inspired and motivated is not a joke so unless you feel complete and whole and confident and you've reached a point where you feel content within yourself and you feel confident about your abilities then with that you can go ahead and do the research and start a brand but i would not suggest um starting a brand out of just ego or like an inflated ego or a superficial self or a instagram or craving of wanting or like a fear of missing out it should never be these things because you will not go far and you will not do the relevant stuff and like you know what i have noticed is that because i've come to this brand with all that strength and all that confidence and all that self love and after all the healing and after all the work that i've put in for so many years today what i can give to the brand is so much more than let's say what i could have given the brand 3 years ago or 4 years ago when i was still figuring out even who i was you know or what i liked or you, you can't like even for a brand like this you need to keep an eye inside the brand outside in the market you need to have eyes everywhere you know and you it's so important for us to don't half ass yeah everything. and for us to come come with our whole selves to the brand because the brand cannot give you anything you can give everything to the brand you know and you can make the brand what it is the brand will not give you anything like as i said before if you show up half ass your brand will be half assed i'm talking about like real self love showing up for yourself every goddamn day every goddamn minute every goddamn second so that even if you're met with a thousand obstacles in that day you can freaking be the boss of it and you can handle it without breaking down at every freaking chance you get you know so for me that's what i look at it become strong physically mentally emotionally spiritually and you know go ahead and do it and then nobody can question your motive nobody can question your passion it's the same thing like there's no separation you know so that's the advice that i can give i i don't know about you i don't know about you guys but I, i'm more pumped than i right now than i was at the beginning of the episode you're going to love yourself tonight <laughs> <laughs> but oh, that was that was really that was some really good advice and I, I i really that's that's something that you know both of us could resonate 
with. What do you do outside uh, out the grammar would approve what else do you, oh, man. What do you do? Ever since I started like, since I started the brand I have literally been on it like 24/7 because my tailors are here uh, we're working they need me by their side always telling them um if this works that doesn't work you know they need my opinion when I'm not working on grandma would approve more uh, in some lake or some uh, uh, botanical garden or some mini forest around bangalore i literally just escape <laughs> into nature because nature is my friend or uh, nature is my mother nature is my family nature is everything for me and i escape to nature i even my friends my friends are extremely important to me i i have a very strong circle of friends who are extremely ambitious passionate and who are doing amazing stuff so they are my constant influence yeah so making art spending time in nature spending time with friends and uh, you know working on the rest crazy so crazy crazy good stuff man thanks for taking the time and to yeah thank uh, you so much it was there. such an interesting thank conversation you, i mean I, i love that you can talk and we should have you back definitely for another episode we should we should book like maybe 2 hours <laughs> with you and about everything else <laughs> i think this has been our longest episode so far yes yeah, so sure. um, but thank no you so problem. much thank you guys it was really amazing we've been in touch you can always drop into the studio you're more than welcome and where can people hit you up where can uh, someone outside trying to get in touch with so grandma so usually we just where can they look you up do you we have we just any? make them email us because it's just easier you know for our listeners uh you can hit up grandma would approve on instagram uh you can reach out to us and we can connect you to priyanka herself or you can find her on her personal account cosmic yeah bohemian pursuits podcast so tune in listen to us wherever you get your podcast spotify google podcast apple podcast you can catch us there see you all cheers